The Deviation Podcast. Welcome to the Deviation Podcast. My name is Paige, and today I am so excited to say that I'm here with Rob and Halima Blanton. And um, just to start, do you each want to say a few words to introduce yourself? You get the husband-wife team in the house right now. (laughs) My name is Rob Blanton. Uh, I am currently the CEO, co-founder, and I'm a full-time volunteer for the veteran-based nonprofit Warfighter Made. Prior to this job, I was a 21-year force reconnaissance marine, scout sniper, and uh, husband and dad. All around badass, huh? (laughs) Stop. Um, My name is Halima Blanton. I am his little wifey. (laughs) Um, I am a mother. I am a wife. Uh, I was a marine for 22 years until we retired out. Uh, and, uh, I have to say, I love where my life's at now. Good. Good. This is, um, if you've been following this podcast, you're probably fully aware that this is the first time I've done a two person interview, but, um, we were talking about it and I thought it might be, it might be kind of fun, especially with a husband and wife team, because especially being married as long as the two of them have so much of their life stories, um, connect and coincide um so pretty much the way we're going to start with this is rob if you wouldn't mind starting with where everything began for you and then ending with just before the two of you met um i grew up in santa rosa california um my typical household family growing up only child Um, Parents were a product of the 60s and 70s, so they were heavily into drugs and everything. Um, (laughs) So interesting growing up years. So, yes. uh, My dad was 19 when I was born. My mom was 21. And so growing up as a kid, when they were still together, uh, it just seemed like life was always a party, always had friends around. and, And now it's one of those things that when... You know, I'm always running into friends of my my dad's that's, oh, Rob, I remember when you were in diapers and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm I'm 43 now, so (laughs) things do change. Um, But uh, growing up, I spent probably more time with both sets of my grandparents uh, uh, because of my parents' issues with, with uh, drug abuse and so on and so forth, um, which was actually really great. My, my grandparents on my mom's side uh, both grew up during the, the Great Depression. Uh, my grandfather had a, a job with the uh, Civilian Conservation Corps, uh, helping build roads and bridges and so on and so forth. He made 30 bucks a month, 25 of which he was required to send home. And, uh, and then he did that until World War II started, and then he, he became a pilot in the Army Air Corps. My grandmother worked a, an office job, 
and but she made all of her mon- money um, by driving a older rich couple from Wisconsin where they all lived to Florida uh, during the winter time and then in the spring she'd go pick them up and bring them back to Wisconsin and she made so much money or she made enough money doing that 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 was kind of able to sustain herself uh, during the depression and then uh, I had a lot of really good friends growing up that kind of looked out for me even though uh, still living in in my house my mom still had a dependency issue and there was always a lot of weird people that would hang out and come around because it was kind of a a safe house to uh, to do their drugs and whatever but I got in with a a good group of friends that um, were just good genuine people learned you know how to to uh basically learned that to, to have fun and, and how to rely on people and how to be there for others without having all this other whacked out stuff going on. How was that? I mean, having so much, I assume your grandparents based on, based on what you've shared were very structured, very, um, very much people you could rely upon. And then having your, your biological parents be so different. I mean, how, how did that all fit in your head at such a young age? Uh, it was, well, I think it was, I've always said it was one of the, uh, deciding factors in me wanting to get married so fast in my life. Um, for instance, I, I was 19 when, uh, my son was born and, you know, her and I have been married for 24 years now and, and I only knew her for six months before we got married. And I, and it, I think it was always kind of like this, this weird thing in the back of my head where, I see how both sets of my grandparents, how they get along and how everything works. And that's what I want. Mm -hmm. And um, so I just kind of felt like that's what I needed to do. I needed to get married and and hold it all together like my grandparents held it all together. And uh, so far, you know, I've got a I've got a chick that hangs out, puts (laughs) up with it. You know, it's been it's been awesome. So, yeah. So then what had at what age did you did you join? So I joined the Marine Corps uh, when I was 17, uh, which was kind of a funny deal because, uh, you know, you, when you're under 18, you have to get your parents' permission. Uh, my dad was a little apprehensive. Uh, my, my father was too young to be in the, the Vietnam War. Like I said, I was born in 74. He was 19, so the Vietnam War had pretty much already, you know, come and gone. And... Um, so you have to get your parents' permission. And my dad was like, really like, are you sure this is what you want to do? I think he was scared for me. And my mom was just totally freaked out because every cliche you've ever heard about the the Marine Corps or about the military in general, she believes. So she's like, well, you're going to have to bite the heads off of lizards and just all this stuff that she was like, seriously, like, I remember when the recruiter came to the house, she was, she was just like... She was all upset at him and, you know, saying these things to him. And he's like, ma'am, are you, are you serious? I don't, I'm not really sure if you're messing with me right now or not. No, no one's going to bite the heads off of lizards. You don't have to kill anybody. You don't, this is, you know, so, um, but I was a senior in high school and the story about, you know, my career was 
I was sitting in my math class and one of my really good friends wasn't in class that day, which, you know, I'm the type of guy who's like, listen, man, if you're going to cut school, let me know because I'm going to cut school with you, <laughs> you know? That's fair. And uh, so he shows up late, uh, late to class and I'm like, what's up, man? And he's like, I just joined the Marine Corps. And at that point, I had no idea what the Marine Corps was. As far as, as, as far as I was concerned, it was just another name for, you know, the Army or something like that. Both my grandparents served in the Army, uh, but that was only like my, that was the only exposure that I really had to. It was, you know, two gentlemen that served in, you know, the, the, the Army 40 years prior to me being born. So, um, so as time went on, then all my other friends started to join and there was five of us that were all on the buddy program. We were all leaving July 26th, 1993 after we graduated, uh, high school. And the reason why I remember that date so well was because when that date rolled around, I was the only one standing there. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so... I'm, I am the proverbial, if your friend will jump off a bridge, will you? Yes, I will, because they all joined the Marine Corps, and I'm like, well, I ain't got nothing better going on, so I guess I'll join too. Wait, how did they just not, I mean, don't you sign a ton of paperwork? And So what it, two, two of the guys started getting kind of like a different, they, they had kind of segregated themselves from the core group of us. Mm -hmm. Then they decided that they were going to drop out of high school to get out of going into the Marine Corps, and which doesn't really work and uh our recruiter found him one day and was just like listen if you two losers want to make something out of your life i have two quotas for two non-high school graduates right now but the deal is you have to leave today and they were like okay let's go so they ended up going to boot camp like six or seven months prior to us going then uh so now there's three of us uh about a month prior to going one of those three breaks his leg now he can't go so now two of there's two left my buddy who originally the very first one to join and me the last one to join and we go down to oakland meps uh, again from from the bay area we go down to oakland meps and you go through this thing called the moment of truth and in that moment of truth it's kind of like you get the opportunity to come clean on anything that you have done um, that you've never admitted to that you could get in a lot of trouble for once you become a, you know, uh, a member of the military. And it could be anything from, you know, crime to drugs to whatever the case may be. So my buddy goes in first and then you, you do the moment of truth and then you swear in and uh, I go in next. And then as I walk out, I see my my buddy sitting on what we call the bench of woe. And it's it's like anybody sitting on the bench of woe means that they, they said something during the moment of truth that has basically negated them from continuing on. And I walked up to my my buddy and I was just like, dude, what are you doing here? And he's like, hey man. I smoked some marijuana the other night at a party and I didn't admit to it. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to 
get in trouble for it. So they're sending me back home. I got to do a, dr a drug waiver. I'm not going to be shipping out for another two weeks. And I was just like, oh, my God, here I am. The only one I just joined because everybody else did. And now I'm the only one going down there. So, well, now to rewind, the two that went down early, uh, they ended up getting kicked out of the Marine Corps almost right off the bat. Oh, terrible. Really? Just, yeah. Those two, and, and actually I've seen them both uh, since then. It's been 25 years now. Um, and one of them came up to me and was just like, you know, man, the worst thing that I ever did was go to boot camp with my best friend because I never had to grow up while, you know, I'm standing there and I'm watching, you know, our buddy get thrashed, uh, you know, having to do pushups and all this stuff. I'm laughing at him, trying not to get caught by the, the drill instructors. And it just, I just never grew up. And it made a lot of sense to me because now I'm standing on those those infamous yellow footprints. I'm getting ready to go through, and I have nobody to rely on. And I remember that the the very first night that you got to sleep, which was it's about 48 hours from when you check in. Um, I remember just laying there in this receiving barracks with like 30 or 40 other guys that I don't know. And I can just hear guys crying and sobbing and everything because it is, it is such a culture shock. And I remember laying there and I was like, man, I want to cry so bad right now. But I'm not going to. I'm not going to because I know somebody's going to call me a, you know, call me a, a derogatory name or something. So, um, but the other thing about it was my grandfather on my, my mom's side, um, I really looked up to him. He was always kind of the one that I relied on. And, and when I was going through issues with my mom or my mom was having issues, he was always kind of there for me. And uh, basically the day that I left for uh, boot camp, he pulled me aside and he was just like, hey, this is the only thing I'm going to say. Or he said, these are the, this, this is the, the only things that I'm going to say to you. When you're in the military, you're not going to have a lot of friends. But the friends you do have are going to be the best friends in the world. And two, don't ever give up. And that really sat with me. So while I'm laying in that receiving barracks, listening to everybody sobbing around me, and I wanted to, I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to push through this and I'm going to see what this has to offer. Plus, I had a really good recruiter that kind of helped me out and told me what to do and how to do it and stuff. So it was good. Uh, my other buddy uh, that went to boot camp two weeks after I did, the guy who originally joined, he did his four years and got out. And then our buddy that uh, broke his leg prior to us leaving, he went in probably uh, six months after we did. And he was going through Amtrak school, amphibious tractor school. And he was standing on top of an Amtrak and it, somebody moved it and he fell off of it, broke that same leg and they med boarded him. They basically kicked him out on a, on a, a medical discharge type deal. So uh, everyone became a Marine, but I was the only one silly enough to turn it, it turn it into a career and... <laughs> I don't know, yeah. silly is the word I, I'd yeah. use, but... I was, uh, 
I, I originally, oh, well, that was the other thing. I did so poorly on my ASVAB that my recruiter was like, hey, I got some good news and I got some bad news. The good news is you can be a Marine. The bad news is you don't qualify for any job. You have to go in open contract. So I was like, oh, okay. You know, so when you go in open contract, that basically means that whatever the, the Marines need at that time, which could be, you know, butchers, bakers, candlestick makers, uh, that's what you're going to go do. So uh, I went through boot camp, <clears throat> had a, you know, it was, it was an eye-opening experience, um, boot camp was. And then at that time, I went through Marine Combat Training, which is the next follow-on school that, that at that time everybody went through, whether you were going to be an infantry or Marine or not, everybody went through MCT. And then uh, while I was in MCT, they grabbed a whole bunch of us, took us into this room, and this colonel got up and he was just like, hey, everybody in this room right now is here on an open contract. If you want a guaranteed MOS, come up here and sign this contract. So I, I remember somebody up in the front was like, what's the MOS? You know, he's like, it's 03, it's 0311 infantry. So then I clawed and fought my way up there to get my name on that list. So and what exactly does that mean? Like what is it? Infantry? No, the 03. That 0311 is the designator for, uh, for that, um, uh, military occupational specialty. Yeah, military occupational okay. specialty. So, um, like in the army, it's called an eleven Bravo. So understood. Okay. Um, yeah. So I did that, and then I did a deployment with, uh, or I became an infantry marine. Uh, was got stationed at Third Battalion, First Marines. I did a uh, deployment with them in ninety four and ninety five. Uh, or it started late 94 and went into 95. Uh, our battalion went to Somalia after the whole Black Hawk Down incident, and we pulled the UN out. And until just recently, we were basically the, the last service members that had been in that country until, you know, just recently. How, like, when you found out that you were about to be deployed, like, were you excited? Were you scared? Where was your head at? I... You know, it's one of those things where the Marines ingrain or instill in you so much that, you know, your your job is to go and fight. That, you know, when you finally get the, the word that you are going to go into Somalia, and, and, and the whole time that we had been training, that had always been, hey, we might be the ones that are going to go into Somalia and pull the United Nations out and, you know, and it, so you, you, when they said, Hey, we are going in, that was like, okay, let's go do it. You know, that's what we've been training for. And, uh, it's the only time that I've ever been like scared has always been after the fact. It's always like, um, <clears throat> man, I just got done with that mission and, and we did this and we did that and, and this went wrong, but we continued to push through and so on and so forth. Afterwards, sitting there thinking about it, you're like, man, so much could have gone wrong. Mm -hmm. And that feeling of, of being scared and all those mixed emotions really start to overcome, but it's already happened. Right. 
you know. You so, finally have the time to let the whole experience actually sink in. Absolutely. And uh, other than that, it's like, you know, it's you're just doing what you got to do. Right. So, and um, so then I get back and uh, I go to a school called Corporal Scores. And Corporal Scores teaches, uh, you know, Marine E4s, corporals. Um, how to become leaders in in their in their uh, in their realm, uh, and I just so happened to be in a class with her. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at my wife right now. <laughs> so that's where I met. That's where I met Halima, and uh, in typical Rob Blanton fashion, uh, I. I got to the school and I kind of got kicked out at the very beginning and I had to go back to my unit and do some things and then come back. So I showed up late. What did and, you, uh, may I ask what you did to get your I can't, I can't remember. I don't think, I didn't have all this paperwork. I didn't have some of the paperwork yeah, right. that I needed. Yeah. I had it, but I didn't have it type mm-hmm. deal. And I was trying to like schmooze my way in there and they were like, <laughs> no, you need this paperwork. He needed like specific signatures on it. Yeah. That makes sense. No, a different so then I, I had to go back to my unit, get those, get whatever it was. I can't remember now. And then come back. But then I come strutting in and she's kind of the first thing that I see. And I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely getting in this course. So. so it was a good thing. It was a good thing you didn't have everything you needed the first time around. Well, yeah. Very good thing because he could have been in a different part of the class to, yeah. to where him and I would not have been in the same. Because we ended you know, up in the, in the same group. Yeah. You know, there's like 60, yeah. 60 people in this uh, class and they had us all broken into groups of 10 or 15 or whatever it was. So it just so happened that I was in her same group too. So. Oh my gosh. Okay, so now we push the pause button and now Helena, will you um you start from, from square one and get us up to this point as well. Okay. So I was originally born in Afghanistan. What? <laughs> so I am full Afghan. My parents are Afghan, grandparents are Afghans. I don't know about the rest of the family after that. You I know, swear, before I think that. It's every time I meet and this is what the third time I've actually met you guys. Uh-huh. I learned something new. So please continue. <laughs> so I was born and raised there until about the age of five. And then we immigrated uh, due to the Russian invasion. So I grew up in Afghanistan. Uh, and my mom was a teacher. Uh, my dad was an engineer. So we were not one of the poor, you know, um, people of the population. Uh, so we lived in Kabul. We had a house. We had, uh, you know, our own, um, like, compound there, basically, you know. And uh, when the Russians invaded, they literally took over everything in the country. And uh, people started, you know, literally coming up missing left and right. So one one of my uncles, one of my mom's br- older brothers, came up missing. He had a wife and four, uh, three boys, at the, you know, uh, it was it was eye-opening for the whole family. Oh, no kidding. And everybody decided, okay, it's time to go. So everybody that could started making plans to leave. Not just leave the area, but leave the country. Um, so I remember us having to uh, navigate out of the country. And they had the Russians had different checkpoints set up on all the main roads. So it's like, how are you going to get by them? So you're literally leaving the country with nothing except the clothes on your back. 
you can't take your suitcases. You can't take your no, that makes sense. memorabilia. You can't take your priceless art, whatever you have. It doesn't matter. If you want to leave, you're going to have to leave. To basically telling the different, you know, soldiers at the checkpoints, oh yeah, we're just going on a picnic. We're just going on a jaunt. We're just going to visit family for the you know day, and then we're coming back. Um, and not a lot of people back then had cars. They you know it wasn't as free as it is here mm-hmm. in the states. Uh, so most people are you know on public transportation. Um, and I remember us having to get on the bus trying to leave the country, stopping at different checkpoints, you know, and them getting everybody off the bus, searching people just to make sure you're not going anywhere with your, you know, valuables. Um, was it was it just you and your parents on the bus or were your other family members there as well? No, there was other family members there as well. But, um, so I'm the oldest of five kids. And at the time, my parents had the three of us, three of us kids there. Uh, so I was the oldest of three then. And you don't know how scary it is for me uh, to be able to, at the age of five, have to hush, you know, my two-year-old sister so she doesn't make any noise. Uh, once we got caught on, at one of the checkpoints uh, and they realized what we were doing, they literally rerouted us to a compound. Uh, and that's where you're stuck at. And it's it's like a concentration camp. You're literally stuck stuck there until your family members come back and claim you, you know. So there's, it it, it was horrendous, you know. How uh, long were you in that compound for? Uh, I think that from what I remember, it was uh, maybe three three and a half months that we were stuck there, and then uh, my dad was able to leave, and then bring friends back and start smuggling family members out. You know, I remember riding across the desert on the back of a motorcycle with him, you know, and him just saying, hold on tight, don't let go, you know, and that's where we're going to go. And we made it into uh, Pakistan. And then we were in Pakistan uh, more than six months because we had applied uh, to get visas to come to the States. And we had to wait. And the first time I think we were denied, uh, we went into Iran trying to get it from there. That didn't work. We went back to Pakistan, uh, reapplied. Uh, So there was, we had some family members that made it to Germany because that was the shortest line, the shortest, I guess, embassy line, if you Mm -hmm. want to call it that. Um, We had other family that went to Canada. We had family that ended up in New York. We had family that ended up, we ended up in Los Angeles. By the time we all made it out, the families were scattered, you know. So, but my parents and I, uh, my brother's sister, and then one of my uh, mom's older brothers, we all, and his family, we all made it to California. We made it to LAX, and that's as far as the money basically took us. Um, So I grew up in Inglewood. I grew up in Inglewood, and I was one of the few, I guess, others. <laughs> there, there was a lot of Hispanics there. There was a lot of, you know, African Americans there, but there was not a lot of Afghans there <laughs> at the time. Um, I remember going to elementary school. I started out in the second grade, um, and it was literally learning English 
and then having Spanish-speaking kids teach me bad words in their language. Oh, if you say so-and-so to this teacher, that means good morning. And I'd say it, and the teacher's like, "Um, come here, Halima. (laughs) You don't say that. And I was like, wait, what? So-and-so told me it was this good morning. And they're like, no, it's not good morning. And it was like, oh, my God. Uh, So you learn quick to keep your mouth shut. (laughs) No kidding. So, Um, So second grade. So now how old are you at this point? Uh, I, I don't remember. Almost seven. Okay. Almost, uh, yes, six, six and a half, seven. Was it Um, just like an insane culture shock going from, going from the Middle East to now being in LA? Uh, well, uh, before coming to the States, I, I had never seen a black person. So because there are shock. there are no black people really? in Afghanistan, you know, and we didn't, I, I didn't, you know, notice anybody in the desert being, you know, totally black. It was like, oh my god, uh, and I, I literally, I, I remember um, uh, one day asking one of my friends, "Why are you so dark? Do you just lay out in the sun?" And I mean, she looked at me like, "Are you crazy?" <laughs> And I was like, well, I don't know, you know? Oh, and then she, she literally, in the second grade, is teaching me about different ethnicities. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so uh, I watched a lot of John, John Wayne movies. I used to love Westerns. Um, I used to have an accent of a Western because <laughs> that's all I watched. Oh, that's because funny. it was easier to learn the language that of way. Of course. To try to, uh, try to get used to the language, um, the pronunciation of stuff. There's still time. Uh, to this day, there'll be times I'll be talking to someone and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I, I'm looking for that word and I'll say something and my husband's like, no, babe, that's not, <laughs> that's not what you meant. Or he's like, yes, I speak Halima, you know? <laughs> so, but it was, it was a definite culture shock. Um, but the Afghan community, whoever made it out there, once you got to know people, oh, you're so-and-so's second cousin three times removed. Oh, got it. Yeah, we're kind of related. So we'll just start hanging out. I was like, wait, what? How do we know them, you know? <laughs> oh, the, so it, it, it is, it's not a small community, but it is a small community. Mm-hmm. So when I grew up, I grew up in Inglewood um, with a lot of friends at school and then almost all friends and family at home. The two did not mix. Uh, I remember, oh heck, I remember being in the ninth grade and I had a boy walk me home. He was carrying my books for me, you know? I guess he was sweet on me. <laughs> and my dad ran him off when he showed up at the door. My dad literally ran him off. It was like, wait, what? What's going on? And my dad's like, no, 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 you go away, basically. It was like, oh, wait, what, what happened, you know? And it, it's, you, you, we did not mix school and home. At home, after I got home from school, everything was all Afghan, Afghan community, Afghan uh, religion. I grew up Islamic. Um, so everything was geared around the family, around um, family members or close family friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everybody was Afghan. Who After school, everybody I hung out with was Afghan. Everybody spoke Farsi, you know, um, or Pashto. And then when I would go to school, it'd be all Americanized. It was like literally living in two different worlds. No kidding. And and trying to blend the two never seemed to work. Uh, I had uh, one of my best friends uh, in in elementary school uh, happened to be black. 
And one day I invited her over and my mom's, she literally asked me, she goes, why is there a black person in our house? And I was like, wait, what? And she goes, well, what is she doing here? I was like, well, I invited her. She's my best friend. And she goes, no, you know, cousin so-and-so, cousin so-and-so, cousin so and she named like 15 of my boy cousins. She goes, those are your best friends. She goes, that's not your best friend. And I was like, wait, 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 what? I learned about best friends. I want a best friend. And yeah. No. <laughs> I was like, wait. How did you deal with that? Like, how did you, uh, you keep, basically what I did was kept the family life family and kept the school life school. Just separated the two and that was it. Did your did not y- younger s- siblings have, like, did they just follow your lead with yeah. that? Or they didn't? The, not that they followed my lead. They just followed our parents' lead. Because no, that that's sense. how we did it, you know? That was the only um, way you were able to do it. Well, because, like, like when we would get home from school, mm-hmm. there was always, oh, we're going to go to so-and-so's house. Oh, we're going to have so-and-so over. Oh, we're getting ready to have so-and-so over. Mm-hmm. Or we're going to go to this cousin's house. Or we're going to go to that cousin's house. So there was always activities that we were doing something. Somebody was coming over to our house or we were going to their house. But the five of us, my parents, my brother, sister, and I, we lived in a one-bedroom apartment. I don't know how many years uh, before my parents were able to save enough money and then we bought a house, you know? So it was it was a different uh, way of life, you know. You you tend to grow very close to your family because you, that's it. You know, right. What else are you gonna do? You're living in a one bedroom apartment. No, of course, <laughs> because you you guys literally left absolutely everything behind. Uh, so my mom, uh, she had uh, smuggled her jewelry out. So when we came to the states, they were able to sell that, and that was the initial money that we started living off of and then um my dad didn't have any documentation with him uh literally we didn't bring anything because the soldiers at every checkpoint would check you and you were not allowed you couldn't bring bags you couldn't you know like the women they would check go through their purse and everything so you couldn't bring anything out so like all of our baby pictures they're all still in afghanistan my mom swears that no one has come to, into our house that's still up in, a, in Kabul and that all of our stuff is still there. Yeah, okay, mom. That's not how it works. <laughs> oh you know? So, um, but it's, I, I would do a lot of sports. Um, I remember being in middle school and learning how to run and learning how freeing it was. And then it was like, ooh, I can do this. This is so awesome. It, it gets you, uh, it's such a release for me when I, when I would go running. Uh, it would be such a stress reducer. It was no big deal, you know. Hey, I'm going to go run five miles, you know. It's like, let's go. I'm going to have fun. Uh, and then uh, that helped when I got into high school and then started doing cross country, started doing track, started doing volleyball. Heck, I think one summer I even tried basketball, but I'm only five feet tall, so it didn't, <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> I was a really good point guard, but not a great blocker. (laughs) Were you, this may sound like a goofy question, but was running, like, as a woman, or as, at that time, a young girl running in Afghanistan, like, was that allowed? No. 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 Uh, In Afghanistan, uh, women cannot go out without men. 
So my parents uh, had just gone back recently and uh, they were staying there for, you know, X amount of months. And my mom to this day here and, you know, at the time it was 2016, the last time they were there, uh, she's like, yeah, she goes, I couldn't even go to the store and get, you know, food for us. I had to have your dad or your brother with me. And I was like, wait, what? 2016? Are you kidding me? And she goes, no. She goes, if I did go to the store, she goes, guys would make disparaging comments. Uh, the store wouldn't sell me anything. I was like, wait, what? So my question to her was, well, what about widows? What do they do? What about women that have no family? Mm-hmm. And she goes, they literally become beggars. In this day and age, there is no way. They do not. They don't do well. Wow. So it's. Would I have, the way I am, uh, I would say the way my mentality is, would I have survived in Afghanistan? (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) Because I do believe in equality. I do believe in freedom of choice. I do believe in being able to support myself. And uh, not being, not able to have those options would not work for me. It wouldn't work very well for the people around me either, you know? (laughs) So... Um, but, uh, in high school, I would do all those different activities. So after school, I would be in cross country. I would be in track. I would be practicing. Uh, but like during the month of fasting, uh, there was one, uh, one, uh, specific time. I remember I'm running on the track for cross country and they had us running, I think it was four, four, four or five miles that day. And it was a hot day and it was like, all right, no big deal. But I was fasting. I'd been fasting all day. And when you're fasting, you can't eat or drink anything. So you get up before oh, sunrise. Nope. You get up before sunrise and you eat. And then throughout the day, you're fasting. And then at sunset, after sunset, you can, you know, eat dinner. And so, um, and I remember running, 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 and then just passing out. <laughs> oh, no. And they're trying to give me water. And I'm like, no, I can't. I can't. And then I had to go. I had to go home, and I'm like, "Mom, I'm sorry. I, I'm not fasting today." And she's like, "Why? Why would you do that?" You know. And I was like, um, "I passed out on the track." And she goes, "Then simple. You don't do cross country anymore." And it was like, "No, no, no. That's not going to work for me." Did was you know? she okay with that? Oh like, no, she was. She was adamant that I wasn't going to do cross country anymore. You know, but it was like, I'm not going to stop. And you know, I think that was like my junior year. I was like, I am not going to stop. That, that's I've been doing cross country for X amount of years now. You know, I'm not going to stop just because I fainted one, you know, once during, you know, during the month of fasting. It's like, get out of here. Come on. So all I did was I didn't say anything to her after that. Mm-hmm. And I just continued doing it. You know, kind of the passive, passive aggressive kind of thing. <laughs> I'm going to, I think that was one of the uh, defining moments in my life where I decided what I wanted to do, not my parents. I decided this is something I wanted to do. This is something I needed or I felt I needed to do. Um, and I was going to continue doing it no matter what they said, you know. But uh, I was uh, also in JROTC. And at, at the high school that I was at, Inglewood High, uh, they had Army JROTC. So I did that for three years and enjoyed the heck out of it. You know, it was very freeing for me. But one of the military balls that I had, the only one my parents let me attend my 11th grade year, you know, 
um, I'm getting ready, you know, and I'm, I'm getting my hair done for the first time. I'm actually getting someone else to cut my hair for the first time in my life. Because before that, my mom would always cut my hair, you know? Uh, and she actually put a little bit of makeup on. Well, to me, it was a lot of makeup. It was like, oh my God, <laughs> who is this person, right? And then I get home and she's like, you're going to be taking your brother. My brother was in the ninth grade. He, he had joined JRTC also. She goes, you're going to be taking your brother with you. And I was like, what? He doesn't even want to go. She goes, I don't care. You're not going without him. So here I was a junior <laughs> and my brother, my ninth, my ninth grade brother, two years younger than I was, was my escort. And the whole, I remember the whole time there, he's like, Halima, I'm so sorry. I didn't want to come. <laughs> oh my gosh. It, it was, it was pretty funny. I still tease him about that. We still tease each other about that when I, when I come across the pictures, you know, but Afghan girls didn't date, you know, no matter how old they were. Um, and when you grow up in that culture, the mentality is you're not going to date. You're going to get an arranged marriage and you're going to be happy with it. Mm -hmm. And even being in the States didn't seem to impact that. You know, I have friends today that are married to their arranged husbands that I went to high school with. You know, it's like, wow, okay, that's the way it is. So growing up like that, it, it's, it's, I, I think in my senior year, uh, we moved from Inglewood to Apple Valley, to Victorville and Apple Valley area. And so I went to Victor Valley High School my uh, last year. And to go from Inglewood to the valley was like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, especially for your senior D year. That drastic be change. It was like, wait, what? No there's, more, there's no gang fights? No, dr no drive-bys? <laughs> No drive-bys, no gang fights, no no metal detectors at the door. Holy cow, how do you live? <laughs> um, but I didn't want to do the change. I didn't want to move. They made me move anyway. And it was like, I don't want that if I ever have kids. Mm -hmm. I don't want to force them into that kind of situation, you know, especially the senior year, you know. Uh, so, but it, it was still, it was a great transition for me. You know, uh, I make friends easily. Uh, I have a good time no matter what I'm doing. I'm like, let's go, you know, come on. <laughs> so I went to the Valley, uh, Victor, Victor Valley was a, it was a different school. Uh, and then at almost towards the end of my senior year, it's, uh, no, uh, I don't know, October, November timeframe. And uh, college applications are going out. Acceptance letters are coming back in. And my cross-country coach told me uh, that she had gotten me a partial scholarship to a university. And uh, she's like, you're going you're gonna to get the letter. You're going to get the letter. You're going to get the letter. And then one day she's like, why'd you turn them down? And I was like, what are you talking about? I, I haven't even got the letter. She goes, they told me you denied it. You told them no. It was like, wait, what? I haven't even gotten the letter. And she goes, well, somebody did. So I went home and had a major fight with my parents because they had turned it down for me. They're like, you're not going to go to anywhere else. You're going to just stay here. And I was like, wait a minute. Why did I do so many varsity sports? Why did I have so many advanced placement classes? Why did you guys push me to have such a high GPA when you're just going to make me go here? And my mom's like... Halima, 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 you don't need to go anywhere. Which cousin do you want to marry? <laughs> and it was like, oh my God. <laughs> oh 
gosh. How did you respond? Like, what? And, and to, I, I was dumbfounded. It was like, wait a minute, what do you mean? Which cousin do I? I grew up with my cousins. I'm not going to marry my cousin. First of all, they're first cousins, you know? Even if they were second cousins, it, it, they're cousins. Yeah. It's like, no, and I grew up with them. And she goes, it doesn't matter. You're having these wild ideas of going off to college. You're not going to be doing that. You're going to marry, and you're going to have kids, and that'll settle you down. And I was like, no, I am not. Not at this point. And she's like, yes, you are. And my dad's like, what are you going to do? You don't have a job. You don't have any skills. You don't have a car. And I was like, but, but my car's sitting right out. And he goes, no, that's my car. And I was like... And then he's like, and you don't have any money. What are you going to do? And I was... Like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. So I started looking around and I, and I was like, you know what? My dad's absolutely right. I don't have any job skills because they told me they didn't want me to work. I'd worked partially as a, as a cashier initially, uh, but it was just for a family friend, their little you know, mom and pop grocery store. It was like, okay, but that's it. So I didn't have any job skills. I, I didn't have any money saved. I didn't make any money. So I was like, how am I supposed to save any money? And any birthday money, mom and dad would get that, you know? So it was like, wait a minute. What am I going to do? And then you start looking around. It's your senior year. I was 17 years old. I'm going to be 18, you know, after I, before I graduate. Uh, No, after I graduate. Uh, What am I going to do? Do I want to marry a cousin or not? It was like, oh, hell no. And then, so I told my parents, I am not going to marry a cousin that's not, that doesn't work for me. And they're like, okay, we'll, we'll find somebody else for you. No, you're not going to find somebody else for me. I'll find another avenue for myself. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I did was re- I wrote to the college asking if there's any way they could, you know, take that denial away and reinstate mm-hmm. the partial scholarship. I would at least have something. It was a cross-country scholarship. And, uh, that got turned down. I was like, okay, not a problem. So then I looked around and I was like, all right, so military is my best option. They'll give me a place to live. They'll teach me a job skill. They'll give me a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And it was like, all right. So I started knocking on doors. Hey, Air Force recruiter. Knock, knock, knock. Hey, Air Force, knock, knock, knock. Where the hell's the Air Force recruiter? <laughs> Could never mind the Air Force recruiter. So then I knocked on the Navy's door. Hey, you know, I run cross country. I do this. This is my GPA. These are my ASVAB scores. And they're like, oh my God, we would love to have you. We could give you this, this, and this, you know? And then the army. Oh yeah, we would love to have you could do this, 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 and this, you know, we'll top the navies. I was like, cause they offered a bigger bonus. It was like, oh, I get a bonus. Oh my God, what am I going to do with all that money? You know? And I think it was like 2,500 at the time. <laughs> uh, it was like, oh my God. So then I knocked on the, on the Marine store. And I, and, I, and I looked at the Marine recruiter, and I was like, hey, Army said this, Navy said this, what can you guys give me? And he looked at me, he goes, not a damn thing. And I was like, wait, what? And he goes, you earn everything you get in the Marine Corps. We don't just hand it to you. And I was like, oh, tell me more. <laughs> I think he hooked me right then and there. That was it. <laughs> so I signed up. But I was still 17, and he had to come to my parents' house and get their permission. So then I told my parents that I was going to join the Marine Corps. And just like Rob said, with all the stereotype of all the horror stories you hear, parents believe. 
And my dad was like, oh my God, you're going to be this. This is going to happen to you. That's going to happen. I'm like, oh my God, now you're scaring me. You know, it's like, leave me alone. I've decided I'm going to join the Marine Corps and that's it. I'm good. If you don't sign for me now, I will do it when I'm 18. It doesn't matter. It's just a matter of a couple of months, mm-hmm. you know? And they're like, nope, not going to sign, not going to sign, not, not going to sign. So we had from that October, November time frame till they signed, I think they signed for me in March, the end of March. We had, you don't know, you don't want to know how many fights. And before that, I didn't have fights with my parents. Whatever they said, it was like, okay, no big deal. Right. Whatever way they wanted to go, that's the way we would go. Up until that point. But once that deciding factor, that conversation with my dad, what are you going to do? You don't have this. You don't have that. You know, I was like, no, I, I will stand on my own two feet. That's it. I, I'm, I'm done having or being told what to do. I said, nope, this is, this is the avenue for me. I will do this. You know, so now you can either decide to support me or I'll do it on my own. doesn't matter. So when the recruiter came to get my parents' signature... My mom was cutting up meat in the kitchen. She literally brought the butcher knife to the table. And my recruiter <laughs> took a step back. He's like, do, do, I need to, do I need to do anything? Do I need to be worried? And I was like, no, I think she's really mad at me, not you. <laughs> that takes some serious, like, guts. I mean, you're a, you're a badass. That couldn't have been an easy thing to do, to stand up for yourself and stand up for what you felt was best for you especially never having to do it before oh or never gosh, having yeah. done done it before mm-hmm. uh it, it it was that that it was for me it was a crucial moment in my life no because it was here I am this is where I'm at am I going to take a left turn a right turn or am I going to go straight you know and you have no idea what the left or right turn is going to do mm-hmm. and but the straight line I knew what my life path was going to be I could see my mom's life you know I could see my aunt's lives I could see my friend's lives You know, I had some friends that were married in high school, you know, to uh, a groom picked out for them, you know, an arranged marriage. And I was like, no, I don't want that for me. I I don't want them picking who I who I get to marry. Mm -hmm. I want to pick on my own, you know. So it was it was very um, it was a drastic change for us to go from not having any fights in in the family to just having fights every single hour. You know, uh, and then uh, my mom, she's really good at the guilt trip, so I hope she doesn't hear this. <laughs> but she would, I would come home and she'd be bawling her eyes out, threatening to commit suicide because I'd be leaving. And it was like, wait, what? Oh, oh my, how do you do, how do you deal with that? You know, and she's like, you can't leave. You have to get married. You have to do that. And I was like, oh my God, what, what do you do? You know? So I, I ran a lot more. <laughs> Right, yeah. Well, that makes complete sense. But they did sign for me. Uh, and, and up until the date I left, they tried to change my mind. They tried to change. They, they did everything from including gathering all the family together. Uh, we literally had one get-together. And this was after I'd graduated high school. So this was in uh, the uh, middle of June. And we're all at my uncle's house. My grandparents are there. All my cousins are there. I mean, literally we had... Uh, 17 cousins all together, you know, not including all like uh, the five, you know, uncles and the three aunts and their family. It was like, oh my God. So everybody was there. And my dad literally told everyone, I can't change her mind. 
it's up to you guys now. And I was like, wait, what? I didn't come here for this. <laughs> and my cousins, they came up with an idea. They're like, okay, we know you're a runner. No big deal, right? They're like, we're going to go to, I think it's called Mile High Park or something like that in, uh, in uh, uh, West Covina or that area. Um, but it, it's, it's a park. It's a square park mm-hmm. where literally it's a mile for each part of the square. So it's a four-mile run. Uh, so they're like, we'll run a marathon. All of us cousins against you. If we win, you don't go. But if we win, you know, if, you, uh, if we win, you know, you don't go, period. That's it. You know, but if you win, you go with our blessing. You get the family's blessing. Everybody was like, yeah, 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 we'll do that. So all my cousins, they're not runners, okay? But they would tag out, like at every mile, there'd be a different cousin, right? And I think after the 15th mile, they stopped running. <laughs> and I was like... And you were still going. I don't care. I'm still going. <laughs> I had just done uh, the LA Marathon, you know? Jeez. So it, it was like, this is no big deal. I, I've already done this. I could do this again. And I would just keep, I just kept running and running and running until I finished the, you know, the 26.2 miles. Uh, I think we ran like 27. And my cousins are like, just stop. We're, we're done. We, we, we can't run anymore. And I was like, nope, I'm going to finish it. You guys should think about finishing stuff, you know? But even after that, even after the whole family concurred, if I won, they were going to give me, nope. The only one that actually said, go do what you want to do was my grandfather. The one guy I thought was never going to say that. And he pulled me aside and he looked at me and he's like, go do what you think you need to do. He's like, don't just have everyone else tell you what to do. He goes, that has happened in this culture for so long. We, we don't have strong women figures. He goes, go do what you need to do. And I was like, but they're, literally, I was told I was going to be disowned. I said, I'm going to lose everybody. And he goes, that's okay. You'll be fine. And I was like, and I was like, Grandpa, come on. How, you know, how, how do you know? He goes, you'll be fine. He goes, don't worry about it. Just go do what you think you need to do. Because if you stay here, you're going to get one of your cousins. You're going you're gonna to get married. You're going to have kids. And you're going to be traditional Afghan wife. And I was like, I will never be a traditional Afghan wife. It just doesn't work for me. And he said, go do what you need. And that was it. And it was like, holy cow, I can do that. And then one of uh, my uh, mom's oldest brother, uh, right before we left his house that day, you know, he came up, he gave me a hug, and he's like, we'll love you no matter what. And it was like, aw. But I went off to boot camp. Right before I went off, my parents locked me in because they weren't going to let me go. (laughs) I snuck out the window, met my recruiter out on the street and took off, right? Didn't say bye to any of my immediate family. Um, Went off to boot camp and everybody else is getting letters, you know? And I'm looking around and you don't hear my last name. And I'm like, oh man, again, no letter. (laughs) So I had uh, two best friends, one from Inglewood and one from Apple Valley. And they both wrote me, uh, you know, a few letters. Uh, I still have those to this day. (laughs) And then uh, my mom wrote one letter, you know, uh, and she had uh, uh, my twin brothers sign it. So when I went off to boot camp, we had, there was five of us kids uh, because uh, 
my mom had gotten pregnant with twins. And then, uh, so, but they had signed the bottom of the letter. And that just immediately made me cry. And this was right before graduation. You know, right, I was at the rifle range, you know. And, uh, but it was like, and she's like, we miss you, we love you, you know, basically, but I don't want to talk to you again. <laughs> How was that? I mean, especially seeing people getting letters from their family so frequently, like... Heartbreaking. Yeah. Especially to grow up in such a tight Afghan community or to have so many friends and then it, 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 it's a defining moment because you realize who your friends are. You realize who your family is. And it was like, I grew up, literally you're doing something with the family constantly. You're seeing them all the time and then to have nothing. Even from all the family members that are like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll write to you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So when I went off to boot camp and then during boot camp, during those three and a half months, and I didn't, I got literally one letter from my mom and then some letters from my friends. I was like, okay, I'm done. I I will not chase family. I will not chase love. I will not, nope, not doing it. If it's meant to be, it'll happen. If it's not, it won't. You know, at graduation, everybody's got their family there. Yeah, I did not. <laughs> but you kept I got going. A, oh, yeah. I caught a taxi to the airport. I didn't care. It was like, whatever. You know? So. Wow. That takes some serious strength. It's just, I mean, it's, I hope you, I hope you know just how amazing that is. I, I, I think it's just mind over matter. I you know? completely you, you agree have with to. that. It's still amazing, to. but I totally agree with that. Why, <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> So went off to boot camp, uh, finished boot camp, uh, and boot camp. I was so pissed off at the end of boot camp. I was I was guide almost throughout the whole boot camp except my last two weeks, uh, and like uh, for the PFT scores, the physical fitness test, I had the highest score there uh, on the rifle range. I had the highest. I had the series. I was a series high shooter. Uh, like when we took our academic tests, I I had the highest scores. Uh, so I was in line to be honor grad. But during our final obstacle course, uh, uh, we had uh, an older lady who had spent like eight years in the Army and then gotten out and come into the Marine Corps, and she was a bodybuilder. So, But our last obstacle course that we did, she had gone through the O course portion of it, and we had, uh, you know, the ropes at the end of it that you got to climb up and then ring, ring or hit the, uh, the wooden um, bar at the top. Uh, what she did was she grabbed a rope in each hand, and climbed up. So two weeks before graduation, they fired me as the guide and they <laughs> put her in as the guide because that was such an impressive feat for a female to do. It was like, holy cow. I was so mad <laughs> because I was, on, I, was already, I was already promoted. I was already, I, I had already been told I was going to be the honor grad. Mm-hmm. And then to have that taken away, I was so mad. It was like, oh. <laughs> but whatever. Uh, graduate, go on, go on to MOS school. And then, um, once I got sent to corpus course, I'm sitting there in class and, uh, filling out some paperwork that they had all of us doing. And, uh, you know, this guy walks by and I I smelt him. He smelled so good. It was like, Ooh, she's not talking about me, by the way. Whatever. (laughs) She's talking about some other guy. (laughs) Whatever. I smelt him and I was like, ooh, 
ooh, he smells so good. And then I look up, and uh, because I'm so short, he's so tall. Okay, he's six four. I'm five feet. But even sitting down, I'm <laughs> short. Uh, he walked by it, and I could see uh, his rear end. And in camis, if your your rear end looks good, <laughs> you got a nice butt, baby. <laughs> Oh my god! And, <laughs> and then all he was actually... of her listeners just tuned out, <laughs> or they tuned on. <laughs> um, but uh, and then I actually heard him speak, and he had such a nice, deep voice. But it was so calm; it wasn't as <clears throat> high energy as mine is. <laughs> it was like, oh wow, he's he's such a a different person compared to me. You know, I like that. So when I when actually when I when I saw him, you know, turn around, it was like, oh my God, look at this gorgeous guy. He seems to be gorgeous inside and out, not just outside. Because in the Marine Corps, there's uh, gorgeous guys, gorgeous girls are a dime a dozen. You know, we're all in shape. We're all good looking. We're all the best of the best of the best. You know, it's like ooh, that's our mentality. You know, so we all think we're awesome. You know, but. You know, to have someone be awesome from the inside out was what caught my eye with Robert, you Did know? Did you two notice each other at the same time? No. No, because he had walked in, and I was filling out paperwork, and I just saw him walk by, and then I was like, ooh. And then when he, when he turned around, it was like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, we probably noticed each other around the same time because yeah. I came in late, and then the, uh, the squad advisor, whoever it was, was like, hey, go go take a seat and the only place that was uh available was or there happened to be a desk available behind her so i'm like hmm let me say oh i'm definitely sitting right there <laughs> and then it was just you know that was it pretty much love at first sight <laughs> and then and then what happened next like so you guys were in the same you were in the same class right we were in the same class yeah and it's a, and it's literally a two two week course yeah. Uh, you know, so I think the second day there, I had a flat tire and uh, I knew how to change my own tire. But there were so many guys that had stopped to help me. I was like, OK, you guys can change my tire. I don't mind. And uh, uh, he had stopped, but he had sent, you know, whoever else away. So it was just him and I, uh, the last, you know, two left there. So I was like, oh, OK. I see her pull over. So I pull over and... As I'm getting ready to start, you know, changing the tire, everyone else stops. I'm like, hey, you guys need help? I'm like, nope, I got it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Just move along. All right. I'm, I'm going to handle this one. And, uh, yeah. So, and then so he asked me out on a date. And uh, he shows up to take me out on a date. God, I couldn't remember her name to save my life. No. Oh, no. Uh, I couldn't remember her name. He couldn't remember Halima. So, so, well, you know, because in, in the Marine Corps, especially, you know, we're, we're still kind of junior Marines and you call everybody by their last name or their rank in their last name. And I, that was just so ingrained in me that I could remember her last name. But when I asked her for her first name and she told it, it just I, I just couldn't retain it for anything. He said, hey, baby. I was like, oh, he doesn't remember my name. So did you ask for it? Did you ask for her first name or did you volunteer it? How did that no, I, awkward I part of it go? He asked. asked. He yeah. asked. So 
but then I couldn't remember it. So it was kind of it was kind of a moot point because <laughs> I'm like, hey, uh, oh, Jesus. <laughs> so he comes to take me out, and I was like, hey, I haven't uh, PT'd yet, you know. Well, I haven't exercised, you know. Why don't we go for a, a run? And he's like, well, I just so happened to have my PT gear in my car, no problem. Let's right? let's do it, you know. So I'm thinking we're gonna go three miles, which is just an average run in in the Marines. We just keep going, and we keep going, and we keep going. And he had a great pace. I'm, it was like, let's get, oh, you like it, keep going. And I'm, I'm a, you know, decent runner, and, uh, but I'd never, probably the furthest I'd ever ran in my entire life was five miles. Before me. And How did you guys this, run? This, this run turned out to be a 13-mile run. 13 point something, yeah. And I, I was, was just like, oh my, because after that date, I was just like, I got to know how far I just rode. <laughs> like, because that was the, definitely the furthest I've ever ran in my life. And still to this day, I've never ran further than 13 miles. Well, that makes sense. I mean, you can't be on the, a first date with somebody and be the one that says, are you ready to turn around? Yeah. Like, exactly. 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 That's, that's really what it was the whole time, too. So, well, we went, ran through different portions of the bays, ran to the beach, and then back, you know? So it was, like, awesome. That sounds but, really pretty. The 13-mile park doesn't sound great, but that <laughs> sounds really lovely. Well, it was kind of funny, too, because, you know, it, it, the whole time we're running, and, I mean, we're probably maintaining a, a decent pace, probably yeah. a probably an eight-minute mile, you know, plus, and, but we're having this conversation. And, yeah, we're going back and forth, so it was awesome. And we're learning about each other and, you know, of course, when the roads narrowed, because a lot of this was on a road that we were in, cars were coming, you know, I would let her get in front of me so I could protect her from the vehicle. <laughs> really, I was just looking at her butt. And, <laughs> you know. Well, that had already been done on the flip side, so I feel right. Like yeah, so I was just getting mine. Um, so then, after that date, we went out to dinner, came back, and uh, dropped her off, and then I hit her up again. I was like, "Hey, you." You want to go on date? She's like, yeah. I was like, is it my choice this time? She's like, yeah, it's your choice. I was like, good. I'm I'm putting a transmission in my '71 Camaro at the at the base auto hobby shop. I need your help. She's like, all right, let's do it. Right. So she probably weighed like 85 pounds at the time. So she sat on 102. She sat on the the on the firewall and helped me line it all up and yeah. But that literally explains our relationship right there. That's amazing. It's yeah. So it's so different yeah. uh, because he is so much calmer than I am. You know that my energy and his calmness just kind of blend right together. You know, he calms me down and I energize him up a little bit. <laughs> so then that was that was the beginning. That then. was the beginning. Third date, we actually went out to dinner. You did? Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> We just went out to do it. Yes. <laughs> but uh, then while I was, while we were in, in corporal's course, towards the end of the course, uh, I had this, I had this dream to become a, a force recon Marine. And force recon, for anyone who doesn't know, is um, it's basically the special operations of the Marine Corps. Um, at that time, we were doing uh, extremist hostage rescue, uh, deep recon and um, you know we had a halo mission a hey ho mission combatant divers I mean it was just you know we were the special operations of the Marine Corps at that time 
was that was Marsock in place at that point, or no. was that bef- that was yeah. before Marsock? Marsock didn't no. come come on board until I mean Marsock itself didn't come on board until two thousand six, um, and basically what how Marsock stood up was first force reconnaissance company and second force reconnaissance company. Basically, uh, at the end of I can't remember it was like March or something of two thousand six, they basically um, case their colors, which they basically didn't exist anymore. And then the next day they re-existed as MARSOC. Okay. So every force recon Marine that was attacked or was a part of first force or second force at that time, then became MARSOC Marines. Makes sense. And just so, and please correct me if I'm wrong about this, but recon or reconnaissance means that you're in front of everybody else. Right. We're basically, we're the eyes and ears of the battlefield commander. Um, now, today, so this was in 95 when this all went down. Uh, I, I joined First Force Reconnaissance Company in early 96. Um, I did multiple platoons, multiple combat deployments with them. Um, and then I left first force in late 90, uh, 2005. So I was there for 10 years. Um, all those deployments, everything that I was doing, she was always the one staying at home with the kids and keeping the the house together and, and basically working her job as a Marine, taking care of both of our kids, um, handling all of our, our bills and, and the day to day rigmarole. Um, as a spouse and then worrying about what I was doing in country or whatever the case may be because if communication wasn't there or whatever the case. Well, back then we didn't, we didn't, really didn't have internet. We didn't have FaceTime. That's you didn't right. have, you know, chatting. We well, yeah, our first mail. deployment was all snail mail. So <laughs> you, had to, you know, wait three or four weeks to get a letter. So, or if he would hit port, we could get a phone call, you know, right. maybe a, a 10 minute, if that, yeah. phone call, because there'd be such a big line for other people waiting to make phone calls home. Well, at this, while we were going to corporal's course together towards the end, I had gotten special permission to miss a day at corporal's course to go take the first force reconnaissance in dock, which was basically the in test. Uh, they ran it uh, the last Thursday of every month. So I went and took the in dock. And, you know, in my mind, I smoked that thing. There was, there was 20 of us that took it. Only four of us finished. I was one of four. And um, the, the cadre, you get one force recon Marine that is kind of attached to you during this whole thing. And he walked up to me afterwards and he's just like, hey man, I just wanna let you know you did a fantastic job. I have you rated two <coughs> out of four. You know, I look forward to working with you in the, in the future. I was like, hell yes, I cannot wait. So the last thing you had to do is you go in for an interview process. And as soon as I walk in, they're like, hey, you didn't make it. So you're gonna have to come back later on. <laughs> Right. And I was like, but, uh, uh, two, I was two of four, uh, you know, and they're like, no, we'll see you next time. And, uh, I had to go back to corporal's course that afternoon because class was still in session. And I remember I walked in and she looked at me and kind of gave me the, uh, the excited face. Like, you know, did you make it? Did you make it? (laughs) And I remember looking at her and all I could do is just shake my head. No. And, 
that was probably the worst feeling that I'd ever had in my entire life. So I went back four months later, yep. destroyed the freaking end dock. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, was, I mean, I wasn't going to let anything <laughs> stop me. And uh, um, What made I'm, you want to go for that in the first place? Uh, so, uh, again, I didn't even really know what the Marines were. And, but there was a recon recruiter. Uh, he wasn't my recruiter, but he was in the same office. And, you know, recon Marines, they wear devices on their chest that, that makes them look different than everyone else. And I was like, man, that's, that's kind of cool. Um, but just to prove how little I knew, when I asked him what he did or who he was, he's like, oh, I'm a force recon Marine. Well, when he said it and how he said it, I thought he said forest like trees and everything, right? <laughs> so then I remember going back and I started telling people, I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about becoming a forest recon marine. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm such an idiot. Anyways. You are um, <laughs> But then when I did my first deployment as a uh, infantry marine, as a grunt, when we went to Somalia and everything, the force recon platoon would cross deck from the little ship to the big ship that I was on and they would do you know, some training and stuff like that. And I just remember watching them do their thing. And, you know, they're all barrel chested freedom fighters. You know, they all had really cool gear and really cool hair and really cool sunglasses and MP5s. And just, I mean, I was like, man, this is when I learned about the Marine Corps and what the Marine Corps does, this is what I envisioned, you know? And I was like, I, I've got to be a part of this. So, that's what I did. So I, I took the indoc that first time, and you know they they failed me, and. Um, but they do that a lot. They want to see if back. you're determined to come back. Well, then I I became the the kind of the director of indocs, yeah. And I was able to pull up my file, and it was it was basically there were a couple things that I could have done better at, but it was basically they just wanted to see if I'd come back, you know, and I did, and I made, it. Mm -hmm. so. And I didn't leave anything on the table.